Welcome to Star Drifter, a science fiction patio book series written and read by Lost in Bronx. Book One, Motherlode. Today's installment, Chapter Two, Incursion. Hello, this is Lost in Bronx, known in the real world as David Collins Rivera. Not that that counts for anything. Real life is so overrated, don't you agree? Of course you do. Welcome to the second and middle chapter of this audio novella. Odds are small that you're hearing this without having heard chapter one first, so I won't repeat much of what I said there, except to reiterate that Motherlode is the first book, and I use the term loosely in this context, in a new series called Star Drifter. As I'm sure you heard me say a moment ago in my thrilling radio voice, I'm currently writing book two, which is called Street Candles. It ought to be out as an ebook and as an audiobook next year sometime. And that's a long wait, but it should be worth it. In the meantime, I will have other new content available, which you'll be able to find at cavalcadeaudio.com. That's me. For instance, I still have to bang out the 2012 Christmas quickie for my ongoing audio sitcom, Eddie K. If you like crude humor and foul language, <laughs> and who doesn't, then you might want to check that show out at, again, Cavalcade Audio. Okay, enough yammering. On with the show. Last time on Motherlode. Can you repair it? Yeah, I can fix it, but I have to shut the power plant down while I'm working. In a few hours, we were floating in zero-G, draped in darkness, and swallowed in silence. What's that? Could it be a, a pirate? Do we have missiles active yet? How far off? Not far enough. We need weapons. We need engines. We're sitting ducks here. I'm not going to die out here because of your stupid crap. You're absolutely crazy. We can't fix it, am I right? Yep, I just don't know what to do now. Then that just leaves us one option. We fight. My emotions together and forever so we fight? How? You'd get one burst from the char packs, and then the capacitors would be drained, and you'd need more than that just to get a beat on their ship, am I right? Yep. Well, maybe. Probably. But it doesn't matter. We'll use missiles only. There must be some way to get the tubes open. If we take that bogey completely by surprise, we might not need more than a single well-placed shot. And those systems only need a tiny bit of juice to auto-prep and launch. A sneak attack? If we don't take them out with the first salvo, we're dead. We can't get out of the way of any return fire. We'll only have a few minutes doing evasive maneuvers before the bank is completely drained. And are you 100% sure this isn't somebody who's afraid of pirates instead of actually being one? Someone who just wants to draw as little attention as possible? I know that's stupid, but people do stupid things. How do you justify firing on them unprovoked? I'm not comfortable with this ejoc. I held up my hand to ward off her disapproval. You shouldn't be, Sally. I'm only listing options. The other idea is to send a team over, surveil the ship for evidence of illegal activity or intended illegal activity. If it's legit, we ask for help. If it's a raider, we board it and take possession. She stared blankly for a moment, as if waiting for the punchline. But there wasn't one. I was serious. 
Are you serious? I'm serious. You're crazy. Ah, uh ah, -uh, careful, you're sounding like Bayern. Ejak, there are only four of us. We could all be fleet marines with powered combat armor and deep action weapons, and we'd still be SOL. Four people can't take a pirate vessel by force. I disagree. She shook her head, rummaged through a stow box, and came up with a bio-waste bag. I presume you have a plan of some kind? She then floated off toward the fresher. Actually, yes. Want to hear it? Want to give me a procreating minute here? During that minute, Gennis floated to the door. He looked around carefully. Is it safe to come in? I hear tell you're a bunch of loonies. Oh, you hear right. What's the latest? They're using reaction thrusters to take a new heading. Slowly, though. They plan to do some work in this neighborhood for sure. I calculated their course and projected it. At present speed, they'll intercept that free trader, Ponty, that's outbound from Diegman right now, in about, oh, 77 hours. This raider has a stealth suite of some kind, but not a good one. I can still track it since I know where to look. If Ponty goes off at an oblique angle right now, or really soon anyway, it will make Star Jump safely. They'll need a heads up, though, because they won't see these guys coming until it's way too late. Can we use a tight beam? We can't let the bogey know we're sitting here behind them. Truth. Laser Comet has to be. Um, I'll need some power for that, of course. That wasn't much of a problem, I didn't think, and when she came out, Sally agreed that a short message wouldn't draw too badly. We did a few reconnects, in engineering and up on the bridge, and tried to leave Gennis to it, but Bayern wanted him to be sure to make the point that Ponty couldn't rely on us for any more help than this, and, most especially, that none of this was our fault. Then he started to dictate the message itself, but I could see a growing flash in Gennis's eyes of what Sally and I had already displayed, so in the end we had to bar the captain from his own bridge. When he was finally left on his own, Gennis finished up quickly, then called us to say that we could pull the plug again. He hadn't waited for a reply from Ponty, though he said he had received an automated acknowledgement of the message. We had done what we could anyway. We were all pretty punchy by this point, having been up for nearly three shifts straight. We'd gotten distracted from the pirate fighting question, but now I didn't feel up to selling Sally or the others on the idea, so I just tethered myself to the corner of my bunk and was dead to the galaxy for several hours. Sally hadn't acted like she was going to go to sleep at all, and maybe she didn't because she and Gennis were floating at a suggestive angle and giggling like school kids when I finally drifted back down to the engine room. The dark rings were gone from under her eyes anyway, as was the pressed look of strain. Hoping they'd take the hint, I ducked out again and went to the galliette for a bunch of cups of coffee. Thank God for insulated carafes. Gennis passed me in the companionway with a friendly smile as I was coming back, and I handed him a cup. Any news? Nothing. The bogey hasn't made any changes. Neither is Ponty. Either they didn't understand the message, or they didn't believe us. I even had Sally Powers up about an hour ago so I could send it again. This time I waited for a reply, but all I got was the same auto-acknowledgement. Honestly, I just don't get it. I refrained from remarking that he was the only guy on this tub who was getting it, and instead floated back to engineering. Sally accepted a coffee, then checked systems. That took all of two minutes with nothing running. Then she finally turned to me. So, what's the plan? After reflection, I still think you're crazy. But let's have it. Well, <clears throat> I have a few items I 
might not have put on the personal manifest when I came aboard. <sighs> Three shape charges, two assault rifles, and a fair amount of ship-rated ammo. Her face suddenly spoke volumes, but she didn't cut me off. I just didn't want any Secord Johnnies finding them in a random locker check while I was out here. I never declared any of it when I first landed. They'd have impounded it all and slapped me with a fine. Where in purgatory did you get those things? You haven't done tactical work, have you? Don't tell me they're from your previous job. Well, actually, yeah. Sort of. I... <sighs> All right. I was really pissed about being laid off, so I helped myself to a few items from the cargo bay on my last berth. There was this corporate space security container. The cargo bot had banged it up getting it in, and the back was busted open. Don't look at me like that. I just grabbed what I could reach. I was about to sell it all anyway for emergency cash, but then this job came through. Ejock, why, you little thief. I won't deny it, and I won't justify it. I did what I did. I was angry. I'm a child. Fine. But these things will come in handy now if we go to take down that bogey. And we have to do that if we can't do the repairs. You see that, Sally, don't you? We'll have life support for another couple of weeks if we stay powered down. Other ships might come by in that time. We could even put in a distress call to Diegman and have them send out a tether boat. Might take a while, true, but... And what about Ponty? For some reason, they don't believe us. I don't know why. Our codes are valid, and they know enough to expect us out here, but either way, they don't deserve to get picked off. Some really rough customers have been playing out this way lately. You've read the reports, Sal. Cargo's waylaid, crews tortured and spaced, ships blown when it's all over. We might not be much, especially now, but we're all Ponty's got. She shook her head with a sour smile, but she let me go on. Okay, here it is. We strip off the armor and insulation around the channels to the main drive output. That'll pre-cool the waste exhaust enough that it probably won't be detectable if we're careful to face ourselves perpendicular to the bogey. We do a short burn up to 10 kps, We'll get to within 100 kilometers of them in 10 hours if they stay on course, and we'll be undetected. If they continue to lay off their active sensors, and this'll kill the battery bank. Which means we just have to win fast. We can cut away one or two of the missile tube hatches while we're outside working on the main drive. That'll give us our big stick if we need it. And then what? When we're close enough, we go over quietly and set the shape charges on the bogey's drives or something. Then we talk to them. Once again, she floated there, waiting for a funny line I didn't have. At length, she just shook her head. I'll tell you what, Ejok. You go explain it to the others, and if they agree, if Guinness agrees to this lunatic plan, well, ah. And she waved me away. The only way for me to move on is to ride it in a song The life goes on and I'm kicked off this earth With no one to hold, it's getting cold in my chest hurts It was an incredibly tense couple of shifts. Sally and I did a hasty EVA to rip off the housing around the feed lines to the plasma exhaust. We used hydraulic grippers and vibrosaws that the others said made a heck of a racket inside. The job, once done, was really messy. It would be a costly repair for the consortium that owned Dame Minnie. But I figured we weren't going to be hired again anyway, so whatever. The missile tube hatches proved much easier to deal with since they were designed to be removed for maintenance. 
The dorsal and ventral bow tubes seemed to be the most useful and convenient to work on under the circumstances, and we were even able to save the hatches themselves and stow them aboard. All of that took six hours, and Sally and I were exhausted when we were done. I wanted to rest, but time was racing. We finished all the coffee in the next few hours, because we still had to reconnect drives to the battery bank and restore juice to some higher-function comp systems. We powered nothing else up, least of all artificial grav and inertials, which were the same system, really. So we had to strap down carefully when we gave Baron the go-ahead to fire it up. He had actually been a much easier sell on the whole idea than Gennis, who proved to be strangely adamant. Bairn seemed relieved to be taking any kind of action at all, and even inflated a bit when we let him give us some minor orders, but Gennis called it a fool's errand and wouldn't endorse it on any level. Sally had come along for the meeting and didn't comment at first. She grumbled heartily when Gennis finally asked for her opinion point-blank, but it was plain she deeply loathed the idea of standing off and doing nothing while a pirate took a ship we were supposed to be protecting. Since our command structure had, by now, deteriorated into a democracy, Gennis was outvoted. At length, he agreed to help, but made it well known we were doomed, an opinion I think we all shared. The run toward the bogey's trap was edgy, to say the least. I dug out my goodie bag from deep stowage. Bayern had almost as much EVA time as Sally and I, but I didn't trust him with either firearms or explosives, and anyway... He was secondary gunner on this cruise, and someone had to be in a position to fire on these guys at all times. I tied the arming controls for the defense suite into my suit comp, though, just to keep old Sure Shot on a leash, and while I could theoretically do some rough targeting remotely as well, there was actually an interface problem with Dame Mini's sensor software, so I'd be shooting almost blind. Baron would have first crack, and hopefully we wouldn't even need that much. Sally and I went over placement ideas for the charges, but a hardcore plan would have to wait until we got a visual. I guess that was the scariest aspect of the whole thing for me. We still didn't know what we were up against. True, there weren't many big pirates out there to begin with, since Fleet hunted down anybody with enough firepower and lawlessness to be a serious threat. Yet even a small ship could drop an entire world full of hurt on us if it got the chance— and if our intruder turned out to be better armored than was, shall we say, statistically likely, then my charges wouldn't be enough either. I only had three of them. Placement was vital, and I couldn't plan that part in advance. The year before, a story was all over the news vids about how Fleet had bagged Gondola, a huge Hamilton-class far trader turned Corsair. Somehow, it had been beefed up with a big, externally-mounted maser, which had been used to knock out star jump, comm, and main drives on nearly a dozen merchanders who'd had the misfortune to cross its path. Gondola was a nasty customer, crewed by nasty people, who actually put a battle cruiser out of action that was in the hunting pack formed to go after it. Happily, a salvo of nukes from the other ships resolved the issue a few seconds later. Still, if our bogey followed Gondola's model... We were wasting our time and our lives. The mere fact that these guys were running with even a cheap Charlie stealth suite opened us up to the possibility of more surprises. And I hated surprises. At an odd moment, when I should have been grabbing more sleep, I went over Guinness's data from the passive sensors. There wasn't much to it, but with some old formulas I still had in my wrist comp from gunnery class, 
I was able to roughly calculate the bogey's size based on the reaction mass they used to adjust course. Just a few quick puffs from their attitude thrusters here and there, but it was enough to get an impression of a ship that was roughly half again as massive as Dame Minnie. That was doable. Maybe. We had to perform a 180 before we crossed their trail. Then we held our breaths and braked hard, hoping for all we were worth that the drive exhaust, now facing away from the bogey in the other direction, was pre-cooled enough to go unnoticed as it spread. I had them on a missile lock the entire way, based on the nearly ghost-like data from our passives, and finally, we picked them up on light-amplified opticals as we crossed by. I didn't know the type, but it vaguely matched the profile in Dame Minnie's database of an old trader class called a Makari. It was listed as having a moderately large cargo bay for vessels of its size, but this had to have been a different model, because the Makari wasn't supposed to have a dorsal docking platform, a dock currently hosting a tiny vessel I couldn't resolve well enough to really see. It was more diminutive than any useful cargo shuttle I'd ever heard of, though. There were other differences, too. The stealth suite, of course, but also port and starboard external pods, which suspiciously resembled fighter-style weapon bays. A bigger star jump array than I would have expected, implying an extended FTL range, and a ramped-up sensor suite featuring what could only have been a military-class tracking dish in the bow. If they popped on their active sensors, we'd never be able to shake them. As pirates went, she was small, but she looked mean as a hornet. To give him his due, Bairn handled our betchel like he was born to it. The man really had a talent, after all. We were approximately 85 kilometers ahead and 20 or so below the Makari, and we were matched in velocity. Our bow was facing them, and I took the liberty to return power to my targeting comps, which were tied into the sensor feed. If those pods held energy weapons, the attack would come before we even knew it, but missiles would give us a heads-up of about 20 seconds. I had a pretty good auto-firing program on a data cube I owned, something a real comp head I worked under several jobs before had written. I'd never had any need to use it, but it simmed well. I plugged it in now, debugged the interface, and let it run. The program could be set to fire at a specified time, or if the target brought up main drives, or really any trigger at all. I put in a short list of behaviors that would seem threatening under the circumstances, just to give us a little attack redundancy. If both Baron and I failed to act, Dame Minnie would still get her two shots in. What can I say? I'm a sore loser. After an hour, it seemed likely that we hadn't been noticed. We held another meeting, just to make sure we all understood our jobs. We let Bairn give us a pep talk, which boosted his morale anyway, and then we got started. Sally and I suited up again and clipped into a couple of scoots. I carried the shape charges, while Sally brought along a bag with a variety of tools, and we each had a rifle secured carefully to the tops of our environmental packs. Extra ammo we carried in belt pouches. We had nearly a hundred kilometers of open space to cross on those tiny scoots, which were only meant for bopping around the outside hull. They would be up to it, certainly, since we weren't going to be running under constant acceleration, but they sure weren't the height of luxury. Just a foldable tube frame that you buckled yourself into, with a small control pad on the front, and a mini thruster system on the back that fed a series of hair-thin maneuvering nozzles sprinkled all over the thing. Scoots weren't fast or even especially safe but they were agile. 
We'd reconnected Com for Gennis, who would be monitoring us all the way. We shifted to a channel he said wasn't likely to be monitored even by an auto system. It had our communications going back and forth over one rotating module while he piped real-time data to us from the boat sensors on another. Then we waved to our shipmates, said goodbye to any Plan B that might have been lurking around, stepped into the port airlock, and cycled. In three minutes, we were in open space. Hey, what are the odds, Ejok, that they'll have proximity sensors or external cameras running? Well, if they're really intent on ambushing Ponty, they probably won't have any actives running at all, even procs. You and I aren't noticeable enough in these suits to show up on passives until we're close, and we'll be coming up on their aft directly through a thruster exhaust trail, so we might not register at all. As for cameras, well, they're usually just used for docking purposes. Pretty much only the pilot on duty during berthing sequences ever looks at them, and then only to make sure the ship is coming in straight. No one would be watching now. You have no idea, in other words. Not a one. You're a sphincter, Ejok. Okay, I guess so, but I'm also right. How do you know? How do you know you're right? How many times have you done this before? Wait, I'll tell you. Zero. Nobody's ever done this before. You know why? Because it can't be done. If you want my opinion. I already know your opinion, Gennis. Let us work this out. Feel better? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. This is beyond crazy, Ejok. We're still right outside the boat, Sally. I can open the lock again. You call it. Oh, now it's my decision. It's your maternal mating plan. Are you saying it won't work now? No, I still think it'll work, but not if you aren't committed to it. I need you, Sal. I need everyone. And Ponty needs us. For crying out loud, we're just a bunch of losers. We're in a remote corner of a bleak system in a broken-down boat, and not one of us is getting paid what we're worth. But Ponty's going to get hit if we don't do something. We're losers, but we have a job to do. Whether or not Dame Minnie is up to the challenge, we have to be. This might not work. Okay, it probably won't work. But I wouldn't be able to look at myself in the mirror if I sat on the sidelines now. We signed up to fight off pirates. If we're not going to do our jobs, then why do we even have them? Why did we even apply? Because we all needed the work, Ejok. But we don't need to die. Dying is sometimes part of our work. Okay, it's corny, but we put ourselves in harm's way for a living. If you wanted it safe, you'd have moved planetside somewhere long ago doing whatever, fixing air cars or waiting tables. We all would have. We're spacers. We've all had a lot of births. Well, today... We fight pirates and we save ships. Maybe not our own, but that's our job. You really believe that, don't you? You have a soldier complex, Ejok. You want to be a fragging hero, and you want us to go along for the ride. We went all over this. Why are we having this conversation now, Sally? Because I'm floating in deep space on a scoot? Because I'm not a fleet marine, but I'm part of an attack team? Because that attack team consists of just two people. Because I very much believe I'm going to die a very violent death very soon. The fact that no one would ever try this is exactly why it can work. If you're really not up to it, Sally, tell me now, before we get someplace where I'll need to rely on you. Now that's not fair, Ejok. None of us signed up for this, including you. Everything we're doing here is purely optional. Considering the circumstances, nobody would ever ask us why we didn't try to take that bogey down. 
I would ask. Every day of my life, I would ask why. Why I turned and ran. Why I didn't want to do my job. Why Ponty was dead. You're wrong, Sally. I don't want to be a hero. I just want to sleep at night. So, what's it going to be, folks? I guess we're coming back in. No, we're going on. Are you sure, Sally? You know this is crazy. There's no way the two of you could possibly... I'm well aware of what we're doing here, Guinness. We're going to take this thing down. Sally, you... Why? Just keep this channel open and the chatter down, okay? Yes. Yes, okay. Thanks, Sally. You too, Ejok. Let's just do this. In ten minutes, we picked it up on suit light amps, a bulky shape seen from behind, with three main engine nozzles and a spidery jump array spanning out like gossamer. The pods stretched out angrily to either side, and the mysterious little vessel mounted on top was just as mysterious from even this proximity. We both keyed our suit cams, now that there was something to see, and I zoomed in on the piggybacker. You getting this, Guinness? Yeah, that auxiliary boat there. Any ideas? I was hoping you'd seen one before. No, sorry, I... What? Um, hold on a second. Bairn, uh, Bairn says, okay, Bairn says that's an automated probe. A mining probe, maybe, or science. He says he's hauled them for the company prospectors before, but that this one looks modified. Modified how? Put them on. Captain Bairn here. No stool, you muttonhead. Sally, please. How is this thing different, Bairn? What do you think these guys use it for? Well, uh... The RM tank is missing for one. No reaction mass, no mobility. It's a waste of hardware. Anything else? Not that I can see. Wait. Could you beef up your contrast, both of you? More. Yes. Good. Now, Ejok, zoom into that box on the back of the probe. No, 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 the small one. Uh, a little closer. Okay, yes. Aha! What is it? What's it for? Oh, I don't know. Why do you even open your mouth? Sally! Could it be an explosive of some kind? A bomb? Oh, I doubt it. No one would buy a probe like this just to blow it up. They're too expensive. Even the cheap ones. Missiles cost a fraction of the price, and they're much faster than any probe. And I don't think this one can move at all. Would the AI be active right now? Well, when they ship them out from the factory, they're not activated. They don't even have Prime Function software installed. That's a separate purchase, and it's up to the buyer to program the thing however it's needed. Hmm, Sally, what do you think? You can't just turn an AI on and off whenever you want. They fail out fast like that. By the same token, once they're on, they're dangerous to leave sitting idle. They can get it into their brains to implement their programming at really inconvenient times. If I were these guys, I'd put it into some kind of non-repeating simulation mode. That way, it could keep busy doing what it wants to do without causing any trouble. You could store it like so much baggage, and yet you could use it at a moment's notice. It wouldn't be running its own sensors then, or be getting a live feed from the ship? In the scenario I just described, no. But I might be wrong, Ejug. I'm probably wrong. There's too many variables here, too much we don't know. Let's assume you're right. 
Would it be able to detect us if we started messing with it? If we succeed in disabling this ship, this probe might still try something. I don't know what that could be, but I don't want to find out the hard way. Hmm, well... Bayern, does this thing look like a Shinjozo smart drone to you? I've read about them, but I've never seen one. I've never heard of a Sandrino smart Jozo or whatever you said. I transported Gratchen K's, Storins, and GP's. This is a GP. You're sure? Yes. You're really sure? Yes, I am. You're really, really sure? Sally. All right, Ejock. I just hate trusting him. I've never worked with autonomous probes. If he is right, then we should be able to do some limited tinkering without rousing it. We could probably place one of your charges on it if that's what you've got in mind. No, I don't have one to spare. I'm just so tempted to take a hammer to this thing. That's an unwise action. Sally's right, Ejuck. I knew she was, but I at least wanted a closer look at the thing. I gave my scoot a puff of acceleration. I couldn't see Sally behind me, but I heard her curse quietly, which I figured she'd only do if she'd decided to follow. I eased over the aft end of the pirate and jetted slowly to the probe, which was anchored there by four large clamps. Where's the AI located on this thing? Probably deep inside, in a reinforced casing. So counter-programming is out, since I see no external ports, and we could fight for years trying to crack it wirelessly. Okay, let's make this easy. Bairn, you say this thing couldn't fly whether it was clamped down or not. Sally, do you concur? She scooted around slowly, studying it, then simply said yes. All right. Guinness, any changes, any sign they've noticed us yet? Nope. It's like they're dead. I really hate this whole predator-prey thing. You and me both. All right. We don't know why the probe is here. We don't even know if it works. Let's just forget about it for now. Eyes open, though. I helped Sally maneuver back around the probe with an extra hand, which in turn set me to wobbling. I had to drift out a bit to get the room to stabilize, and then I scooted over to the starboard weapon pod. It was an irregular mass of metal and plastic points and cables, two meters across, extending out maybe ten meters on a tapering triangular spar. A forward-facing missile five-pack and a stubby particle beam stood out sharply in the light amp of the suit's optics. The missiles were an unknown quality until they were used, but the P-beam was a pretty common civilian type I'd studied and simmed before. It was strictly a close-range item. Dame Minnie could be hurt by it where she was parked, maybe, but Ponty would be safe until it got much closer. I took out one of the dinner plate-sized shape charges from the box I was carrying, peeled off the plastic sheet from its adhesive backing, and stuck it onto the spar. That was one down. Sally came floating up into my view. Want me to put one on the other side? Have you ever set a charge before? No. It's not so easy. Really? You peeled it off and stuck it on. What'd I miss? I handed her a charge. She scooted over the dorsal ridge of the ship while I dropped under and towards the back. I found a sealed hood that looked like a main drive access panel. Trying to open that would kick on their automated anti-intruder systems for sure, which we didn't want to do until we were ready. I figured, though, that it was a reasonable assumption that a maintenance hatch would be located in a spot where maintenance was needed. This close to the main drives, 
That meant a juncture of some sort in the piping for the fuel, likely one that held a pump. It was as good a spot as any. My last charge went there, right over the seam of the hood and the hull, where the extra armor would be weakest. Sally, do you think that bump thing up front is the bridge? Well, it's either that or a fueling dock. Fueling dock? Yeah, they use them in the papal territories. They have a union or guild or something that does nothing but refuel ships. They do it manually. Most boats and ships built over there have a dock installed just for that. Makes the mass transfer go smoothly or something. That looks like one of those, but these guys are a long way from home if that's the case. Aren't we all? Status again? No change, Ejuk. I'll let you know. Okay. Sally, if that is a fueling dock, then there has to be a valve or something over there, right? Yeah, that and manual controls for the onboard fuel transfer pump. Manual? As in hand-thrown on-off switches? That's idiotic. Are you sure? Who am I? Baron? Yes, I'm sure. Come on, I'm right here. Sal, you mean to say that there's a way to physically access the fuel line from out here? Maybe. The guildies over there don't let anything become an automated process if it might take control away from their little monopolies. At least, I've seen manual valve controls on their ships before. Let's take a look. So we did. Sure enough, we found a small access panel on the bump in the armor, which Sally stated for sure was a fueling station. I wondered aloud if high temperatures right there could do anything for us. No, there are safeguards against fires and explosions during refueling. You wouldn't ignite the fuel tank, and there's no oxygen anyway. I'm thinking more along the lines of simulating a fire so as to trigger a fire suppressant sequence in their systems. That would lock them up tight for a bit. It could be a good distraction for getting inside. If they don't have weapons running hot already, that could make a big difference for us. I mean, we're in agreement here, right? These guys aren't legit. No, they're crooked, all right. I just don't see how you think we can get inside fast enough to surprise them. We could cut through a hatch pretty quickly and gain access to an airlock, but we couldn't use it to enter without depressurizing the ship, which of course will cause an emergency lockdown and... Oh, okay, I get it now. Get what? Yes, what is it? If you open up a ship to hard vacuum, it closes off all emergency iris valves and pressure hatches inside, effectively cutting off the crew from us and each other. That can be overridden easily by the captain, though. Not so with fire suppressant sequences. Those require a series of system checks before they can be overridden. Layer the two, and they'll be wasting a lot of time just figuring out what's going on. Meanwhile, you guys call them and tell them to stand down. If they're surprised, which we're counting on, they'll lose even more time. And while they do that, we cut through to the next section, hopefully a central corridor, which will prevent any overrides of the lockdown, since the comp won't allow anybody to open a hatch onto VAC without inputting a suit's clearance code first. They might be in suits already, or have them near. If we were trying this closer to Ponty's interception time, I'd agree with you, since an experienced crew going into a potential battle would take those kinds of precautions. But these guys won't have them handy yet, I'm thinking. The suits will be in stowage somewhere, as isolated from the crew as the crew will be from the rest of the ship, and maybe each other. But how do we take the ship, then? They won't be able to open the doors to the bridge or engineering, even if they want to. We can do temporary patches on all the holes we make if it looks like we're getting somewhere with them, but we won't repressurize right away. Their internal sensors will register that they still have an air loss that way, and we can negotiate a surrender. 
If they think a bunch of us have gotten inside, they'll have to give it up. And what happens when they learn it's only the two of us? We'll have them disarmed and locked up by then, hopefully. It's mostly bluff. Just act mean, Sally. That won't be hard. Their internal sensors, cameras or whatever, will show that it's just the two of us. You can't bluff when they know what cards you're holding. Okay, then we say that the rest of our people are still outside. Doesn't make any sense, I know, but they'll be upset and maybe not thinking logically. They'll be checking sensors and looking to confirm what we're saying. It's a timing thing. We work fast, act tough, and we lie through our teeth. By the time they realize that we're full of crap, we'll have them. Think it'll work? Not a prayer. Let's get started. Sally brought an oxytorch out and got ready to go at the fuel intake. I fetched a plasma torch from her bag and scooted over to the side hatch, which was a standard-looking personnel lock for vessels of this size. We one-two-threed it, then started cutting. I really wasn't sure what Sally had in mind for the fuel duct, but she at least acted like she knew what she was doing, which more or less made me believe that she did. I cut through the locking mechanism for the external hatch, knowing sensors were probably tripping like crazy inside there. I imagined a crew of desperados scrambling now for vac suits, weapons, sensors, etc., and I worked faster than ever. Pop on actives, Guinness, if you have the power. Tell me what's happening. I'm on it. And call them on standard channels and order a stand down. We're going in. Cutting through a polynium door mechanism doesn't take long if you know where to put the hole. I was done in less than a minute and had the lock itself exposed. A twist here and a spin there with a ZG ratchet and the heavy door popped open, easy as you please. Sally, I'm in. You ready? Yeah, yeah, their heat sensors will be registering a fireball at the intake valve. They're closing up in there right now. Feel those vibrations? Emergency lockdowns in progress. Hatches and valves shutting. Everything. It's working. Not surprisingly, I couldn't feel anything, so I took her word for this, too. Guinness, what's the word? They panicky yet? Um, hold on. There's no time, Gen. What are they saying? I'm not sure. I'm getting something weird here. Patch us in. Full sensors engaged. One contact registered. They just hit actives, people. We're in the spotlight now. Sally, stay clear. I'm blowing the weapon pods. Hold it. I'm still exposed. She cruised down from dorsal and grabbed at a handhold near me. Okay, I'm clear. Firing in five standard seconds. Blow him. Blow him. I tripped my suit comp. There was a yellow flash on our side of the ship, and then nothing more. All weapons offline. The one pod we could see from our POV cartwheeled off into the darkness and was invisible almost immediately. The calm, strangely resonant voice continued without pause, no hint of surprise evident whatsoever. That's a machine, Ejok. They have the AI in charge of this thing. I'll admit, I was at a complete loss for a minute there. Where the hell are the people? This thing didn't jump in on its own, did it? Maybe they're letting the AI handle things while they get ready? Come on, would you do that? I wouldn't. When there's a crisis, you man your post. Even pirates would do that much. Guinness, are you getting any chatter whatsoever? Not a bit. Even the AI is quiet now. They completely slaved the ship to the probe, Ejak. Then why not just install an AI on the ship's own computer? This doesn't make any sense at all. Not unless they need to remove the AI quickly and easily at some point. That thing is clamped down back there, not welded. Sever the data lines, take a power wrench to the mount, and it's off. I could do it in an hour if I had to. Maybe you should, Sally. 
No, she shouldn't. Not if the AI is seeing us as hostiles right now. Remember, those things have sensors of their own, and maybe self-preservation coding, too. We took out the weapons, but there could be other surprises. We mess with the probe itself, and it might activate engines or go to star jump. Hell, with a hard burn on thrusters, it could do a fast axial pitch change and just smack us into the black. Well, there's no reaction mass on the probe itself. For whatever reason, they must have intended it to do its job out there. Yeah, and that box on its back. Not a bomb, but a bypass or circuit shunt or something. Come on, Sally. Let's go in and do a search. We tethered the scoots near the open airlock and proceeded to the inner door, which we opened in the same manner as the other one. A fast, almost explosive rush of crystallizing atmosphere buzzed out for a few seconds as soon as a hole had been made. To the unfamiliar, cutting through locked doors on space vessels might seem like it should be hard to do. Normally, that would be true, but people like Sally, and to a lesser degree myself, assembled, installed, and repaired those things for a living. Other than a few aftermarket lockout doohickeys, which were designed to curb break-ins when the ship was docked, there wasn't anything unusual here to slow us down. Under normal docking or spaceport circumstances, a klaxon and computer alert to the yokel badges would eat up all the time it would reasonably take to do the work, long, dirty, cutting work without the right tools. In fact, this ship had easier doors to open than even our crummy Betchel did, and that wasn't uncommon. My so-called plan had counted on this, though it was beginning to look like a lot of worry for nothing. We unslung our rifles anyway, and had them ready. Hatch open. No lights on. Eh, amplification isn't worth much in here. Switching on suit floods. How much of this are you guys getting? Looks good. Is this a central companionway? Are those hatches on the sides? No, we're in a connecting corridor. Looks like it right angles with the ship's core. Got another door to go through on the far end. Artificial gravity is off. Typical anti-hijack protocol. These narrow hatches on the sides look like stowage lockers, and yeah, they're locked, but they're not pressure capable. Not big enough for somebody in a suit to hide in either. Moving on. The internal door proved to be even easier to open, taking 30 seconds to crack. Another sparkling hiss of escaping atmosphere preceded our swinging it open, this time lasting a minute or so, after which we were greeted by more blackness. A few tiny unit lights of varying colors peeped and blinked here and there along the walls on various switches and controls, but nothing more. Floods revealed a wide corridor that looked like it had been either designed for or converted to rec room use. Things were packed neatly away. Game sticks and smack balls in convenient racks on one bulkhead, a dark mute entertainment center mounted along the other. Cushioned seats that locked in place on floor tracks sat off to the sides, leaving the central way clear. Compulsive neat freaks? Yeah, it's awfully clean in here for a sudden emergency lockdown. But why would they send this thing into jump empty? What good's a pirate ship without any pirates? The ship's logo was on the wall near what looked like a beverage dispenser. Gen, look this up in the ship registry. It's not in English. What is that? Latin? Low speak. It says dafka. That means preparedness or state of readiness. You can speak another language? Some. You guys aren't from around here. Diegman gets a lot of traffic from over the border. 
We have to deal with guildies all the time. I caught a glimpse of Sally's expression through her helmet, and she seemed amazed and maybe just a little impressed. Okay, I've got a Dafka listed here as... Ship type just says it's a far trader. It looks like, uh, it says it was built by the most honorable spatial mercantile collective of the beneficent Tyrandua state of Rikertov within far reach, and it goes on and on. Just a shipyard and church space. It was built for a noble shipping family in service for ten years. Uh, looks like it changed hands two more times. Pretty typical overall. It's currently owned by an investment consortium in the corporate territories. When was that listing updated? Legit corporations don't go in for piracy, too much liability. This thing must be stolen. No, it's current. Last update was, uh, 74 hours ago. Just before our little problems started. Well, still. Ejok, the mods on this ship would have taken weeks at a shipyard. Or even longer if they did it on the sly. And they're expensive, too. No regular pirate outfit could afford it. If that listing's up to date, then this thing, as is, belongs to that company. Oh, man, then it's corporate trouble. That's all we need. Let's do a fast sweep here, Sal, then check engineering for something we can use on Dame Mini. I don't want to be here now even more than I didn't want to be here before. A quick look around revealed a ship perfectly packed up as if awaiting its first crew. Cabins deserted and spotless, not a soul anywhere. Cargo revealed several standard freeze tubes, but they were empty too. We didn't have time to try to crack the ship's computer, and anyway, military-grade decryption was usually required for that sort of thing, as opposed to outmoded second-hand civilian-class gunboat decryption, initiated by no one with any expertise in the matter. Okay, that's everywhere. We're alone in here. Baron. Bring Dame Minnie over. Park as close as you can. That'll be it for the engines, then. There won't be enough power to fire up after that. Doesn't matter. We have nowhere else to go. I'm counting on a miracle on this end, so just get her close. Engineering was significantly cleaner and more spacious than on Dame Minnie, and Sally, locating their battery bank, floated over and opened the tidy case. Wow! Oh, wow! Scarcher Nova Ceram Packs! Fully charged yet, see? They each have their own full diag panel. Oh man, this is sweet. Are these standard on a ship like this? These aren't standard anywhere. These are the latest thing. I read about them only a month ago. We could run Dame Minnie all the way back to Digman on only two of these, with normal gravity for the whole trip and juice left over for a party. They're a lot bigger than our power cells. Heavier, too, I'll bet. Not in ZG, they aren't. Just gotta watch the mass when we're moving them around. They can be programmed for just about any power and waveform output up to their max, so I wouldn't even need to jury-rig a converter. We just have to get them over there, strap them down somewhere, and we're back in the saddle. They're expensive, I take it. Oh, Mama, yes. They're marketed to elite corporate security, ritzy private yacht owners, intelligence organizations, you know, customers with deep pockets. How are they going to fit out the side airlock? What are you talking? Yeah, all right. Uh, the side airlock's too small for these. We'll just have to use the cargo doors. Aren't those on the bottom? Yeah, what of it? How do you get them down there? I didn't see anything like a floor hatch or big elevator in your video feed. Just that little spiral staircase. Well, they got the copulating things in here somehow. 
They might have removed the whole airlock frame from the side of the ship during the big refit. That's SOP in shipyards, isn't it? You mean we found the perfect power solution, but we can't get them out of here? I'm not ready to give up yet, Ejuk. Neither am I, Sally. We have to get these things. The question is, how? Okay, we're outside now. Ten meters off starboard and holding. And I had a thought. Can't you just cut a hole in the side of the ship and bring them out that way? With what, you asshole? You think we brought a whole shipyard of equipment with us out here? Cutting a few centimeters off an airlock isn't like chopping a two-meter-wide hole through armored hull casing. Wait, wait, wait. We're set up for it already. What are you talking? Oh, don't tell me, Ejuk. They'll be wrecked. No, look, Sally. See? The jump engines are in the way. They'll act as cover. I, I think. Doesn't look that way to me. Where's the ejector point on this side? Probably right there, along that bulkhead. How can you be so sure? Well, that's the main fuel conduit, right? And there's the branch point for it, and that's the primary fuel pump for the line, so that's got to be the spot. What are you two plotting? Clue in your loyal crewmates, Bray. We're going to blow a hole through the bulkhead right here in engineering. <laughs> Fabulous! Uh, uh, I mean, um, <clears throat> good idea, people. Oh, Ejok. We could reset it in here, then the blast would be mostly carried outside. That'd be true if we didn't have those feed lines right there. Those are real high pressure, right? I'm thinking they could actually turn enough of the blast away that it might not cut through the hull. Blow it from the other side, and we're gold. Then what about a hole somewhere else where the feeds won't be an issue? If the batteries get damaged, we're out of luck. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, good point. Let's look for a spot out in the main corridor. Uh, guys, you might want to hear this. It's the AI. Approaching at 0 0.472 gravities mark constant acceleration. Spectral analysis of heat trail complete. Where's it coming from, Gen? I don't know, I don't know. Nothing on scans yet. Wait. Oh, no. It's Ponty. What? Get them on the horn. Tell them to abort. It's offline, remember? Hook it back up. B. Installed warhead. Mother load. Mark 7. Tactical nuclear defensive device. Yield rating. 0.35. Okay, that's part two down. One more to go. I'd love to hear what you think of Motherload, good or bad. I can't get better until I know what I need to improve, right? I have all my contact information in the closing credits, so just keep listening for that. Also, remember that the plain text version of this story is available for free at my site, while a Kindle version is available at Amazon.com for a small fee. A pittance. Chicken fee. You can find links for all that on CavalcadeAudio.com, which is my home for the various projects I'm pursuing. This will include full-blown audio dramas. I have a few there already. Audiobooks, novels, at least one children's book, which I have in mind, and some other things too embryonic yet to speak of. But soon, soon. If you like this story, please tell a friend. If you don't, please tell them anyway. They might like it. Either way, and as always, I thank you for listening. Take care. Next time on Motherload. 15 seconds. 
kill me and you'll never find all the recorders no matter how hard you try. That's a guarantee. Ah, uh, six of these batteries are garbage now. Ten. Ponty's trying to kill us, or she doesn't care if we die. Either way, she's poison. Bring it up, Baron. Up, up. Come on, Captain Crunch. Axial spin. Yaw, yaw. Five. Get me. Sally, catch me. Now, Baron, full on. Impact. You have been listening to the Cavalcade Audio Productions presentation of Motherload, book one of Star Drifter, written and read by Lost in Bronx. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can find Cavalcade Audio Productions on Google Plus and on Facebook. And I'm on Twitter and Identica as Lost in Bronx. Drop me a line and tell me what you think. And please do check out my site, cavalcadeaudio.com, where you can read the complete text version of this story, check out the credits and attributions for the show, sign up for the feed, and stay current with everything that's going on. Motherload is a work of fiction and is not meant to portray any person living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Apparent similarities are purely coincidental. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called Trunks i released by Royal Bass Records and is available on SoundCloud.com. The music for Motherload is called Love Me or Not by DubFX and is used under special permission. It can be found at ConvoyUnlimited.BigCartel.com. These artists retain their respective licenses for their content. This production is otherwise copyright 2012 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike Unported 3.0 license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Respect the license, respect the fans, share and share alike. Talk to you soon. Thank you.